Good morning, friends. Let's pray. And then we will hand out some Bibles. Jesus, we thank you that we can come together this morning. Lord, that we can gather as your people. Lord, your people have gathered before you for thousands of years in similar ways to what we do now. This is not something new, but is something that is and was established long ago. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be inclined to you. Jesus, anything that I have to say that is of value this morning comes from you and your word. For your word is eternal. May we rest wholly in it and look to it for that which it brings, which is life. Jesus, we pray that our hearts would be warmed by your word, that as we look to your life, we would be encouraged and see how great you truly are. And Lord, may it move us to be like the psalmist when he says, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord. Yes, Lord, your works are great. They are studied by all who delight in them. Lord, may we study your word and your works. May we turn them over in our mind, look at them as one looks at the facets of a diamond. May we give them attention. Lord, you are full of splendor and majesty, and we have seen it in your works. And your righteousness endures forever. Lord, you have caused your wondrous works to be remembered. Lord, you are gracious and merciful. Lord, may that be at the front of our minds as we come to you this morning. Your grace and your mercy. As always, Lord, may the words on my, my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We have a couple men that are going to grab Bibles and hand them out. So if you need a Bible, stick your hand up and they will bring you one. Carl's going to pull an audible and do it for me over here. Have you ever found yourself getting in the car and the windows fog up and you're like, man, now I can't leave for five minutes? Has that ever happened to you? Or maybe you wear glasses and I just got glasses in May of last year and I've discovered, discovered that if I open the oven and I stick my head in and it's on, it's, woo, I can't see anything. Or the dishwasher, right after it's finished, the, the steam just fogs your glasses up. Or maybe you've tried to drive in dense fog. Is it easy to drive in dense fog? No, it tends to obfuscate things, right? It tends to make them unclear. 
tends to make it difficult to go about the task you were hoping to complete. Fog does this. Snow can do it. Rain can do it. Life can do it. Life has a tendency to uh, make things unclear at times. We look and we hope for clarity and we don't receive it. But when we do, we're thankful for it, right? If you've ever driven through dense fog and then you come out of it, like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I can go the speed limit now. Do you know that the Bible talks that the same thing happens with God? The Bible speaks that God has not always been totally clear. People have not always seen who God really is. He has revealed himself, and he has done so progressively over time. He revealed himself in one way to Adam and Eve. He revealed himself in a fuller sense to Abraham. And then from there, he revealed himself in a more full way to Isaac. And then from there to Jacob. And then to Moses. And then to the Israelites. And then to David. And then to Daniel. And then through the prophets. God has progressively revealed himself to his people. Building upon that which they knew before. Allowing his people to get to know him. Started out, they just had a snippet of who he was. And then it progressed and it went on and on for thousands of years. And then comes Jesus. As John concludes his prologue, which we will look at this morning, we're going to see how Jesus brings us the full revelation of God. Jesus is going to make known in a full sense who God is in a way that was not done before and has not been done since because he is the only one. We are going to get a full picture of who the God of the universe is through Jesus. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to John chapter 1, verse 14. If you've got one of those foyer Bibles, it's page 1053. There is a benefit to using one of those. You don't have to go finding it. I get to tell you where to go. Page 1053, John chapter 1, verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord for you this day. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, and cried out, this, is, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, He has made him known. This is God's enduring word. Our big idea for this morning is that through Jesus, God is revealing himself to us and to the world. Through Jesus, God is revealing himself to us and to the world. As John concludes his prologue, he wants to make make this very clear. He wants us to grasp this completely and understand what is going to come after this section of the scripture. So these first 18 verses are setting up everything that's going to come afterwards. What John is saying is everything that you see about Jesus after this point 
and really before this point, is God. When you look to Jesus, you see God. If you wanted to put it another way, if you want to see God, look at Jesus. If you want to see what God is like, who God is, what he has done, his character qualities, his personality, you look at Jesus. Nowhere else. Jesus is the only place that you will see God. And that's how he concludes this prologue. He's pointing us to and thrusting us into this reality that you will see God when you look to Jesus. And he points out a few things in this section. And the first thing we see is the way Jesus revealed God. And we see this in verses 14 and 15. Jesus revealed God. John says, the word. He's calling us back to verse 1, and he's saying, the person who became flesh, this word, is, was the one that was in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is the word. The one who was from the very beginning the one who was with God and was God, that is who has put on flesh. John tells us he became flesh. He, he did not lose his God nature when he became man. This is, the fancy theological term here that we would use is the hypostatic union, which you've probably never heard unless you've taken a seminary class. The hypostatic union is the way that we've theologically since the very beginning of the church, very early on within the church, used to describe the combining of the two natures of God in Jesus Christ perfectly. Jesus was simultaneously 100% God and 100% man. There was not a 50-50 split in Jesus. This is not like the tag on your partially cotton shirt that is 50% cotton and 50% polyester or whatever else they put in them these days. No, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man because the Word became flesh. The Word did not transition to flesh. The Word did not stop being God and then became man. No, the Word was God from the very beginning and continued to be God while he was in the flesh. And his natures did not ebb and flow. He did not sometimes, he was not sometimes God and sometimes man. He was not sometimes 60% God and 40% man or vice versa, 75-25. No, he was 100% God all the time and 100% man all the time after the incarnation. All God, all the time, all man, all the time. Consider this reality, friends, that while Jesus was on earth, he continued to uphold the world by the power of his word. He didn't cease in his function as God when he walked the earth as a man. He continued to do it day after day in some passive sense. Now, two weeks ago we saw that God was a trinity and that was a mystery, not a contradiction, but a mystery. The hypostatic union, the incarnation, God, Jesus being 100% God and 100% man, mystery. We're never going to fully grasp it. We may not even fully grasp it when we get to eternity. Contrary to popular belief, we will not know everything in heaven. Because only one being in the entire universe can know everything and his name is God. 
Otherwise, we would become omniscient, and we are not promised to become omniscient. Jesus was God and man. He was the God-man. And he upheld the very world he inhabited. His power upheld through his word that which he sat on, that which he touched, that's what, that which he consumed, that which pierced his hands, all of it. And a little side note here, this shows us something really good. There's this thought sometimes that our bodies are bad, that flesh, the thing we took on, it, that we have, we didn't take it on, we have it, Jesus took it on, can be bad. If it was bad, Jesus would not have taken it on. Our flesh, although corrupted by sin, is not evil. Greek thought said that when the gods created the universe, the material was bad and the spiritual was good. This dualism. Jesus takes on flesh. Shows that the physical is not bad. One day we will have physically resurrected bodies. They will no longer be corrupted by sin and they will be perfect and they will be good. One day there will be a new heaven and a new earth, physical, that we will inhabit and it will be good. But that's not all we see about Jesus in this. We also see that he dwelt among us. The word there for dwelt is the idea of a tent or a tabernacle. And if you're familiar with your Bible stories, you should know what's going on when John uses that word. John is using a word intentionally to point the people back to something else that had occurred thousands of years before, before he was on the scene. Jesus tabernacled among his people. Who else tabernacled among his people? None other than God himself in the Exodus. When he led his people out of slavery in Egypt, God dwelt among them in the tabernacle. His presence was there. In fact, God has always desired to be with his people. God walked in the garden with Adam. God walked and talked with Abraham. God led his people in the desert as they left and escaped Egypt. And God filled the temple. God has desired to be with his people. And he has done so in Jesus in a more full sense, in a more profound sense, in a more intimate sense. God has moved into the neighborhood in Jesus. Jesus came into the neighborhood and lived amongst the people. God was with his people yet again. And then John says, and we have seen, they saw it with their own eyes. John saw Jesus he walked beside him. He touched him. He hugged him. He laid his head upon his breast. This was physical. This was tangible. John saw God. John saw Jesus. Some people have made the mistake of saying, well, Jesus was just a figment of their imagination at some point. Or Jesus at certain point, wasn't really there. He was a spiritual aberration. He was a ghost. No, he was not. When Jesus walked on water, he, they're, they're freaking out, and the disciples are freaking out, saying, he's a ghost! It's like, 
Nah, I'm here. I'm actually walking on this water, believe it or not. God was visible in Jesus. He was tangible. What did he reveal, though? What did, God, what did Jesus reveal? Well, he revealed the glory of God. Look, it says, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When, they saw, when John and his friends saw Jesus, they saw God and his full glory. John is actually, again, pointing us to, back to the Exodus event. If you have your Bible, flip to Exodus 34, verse 6. In this passage, this is where Moses goes up to Mount Sinai a second time to get new tablets because he broke them when he got angry at his brother. Have you ever broken anything because you got angry at your brother? Brother and sister? Exodus 34, 6 finds itself in the midst of this story where Moses asked God, show me your glory, God. Let me see your full power be revealed And in chapter 33, verse 18, Moses says, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy to on whom I will show mercy. But God says, you cannot see my face, Moses, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And then look at verse 6 in chapter 34. God passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The words that Moses uses to describe what God said to him are the same words that John uses to describe seeing grace and truth in Jesus. When Moses says that God told him that he was Steadfast in love, that is grace. Same words. And then when he says, and faithfulness, that word means truthful. Faithful to his word, truthful to what he says. So when John, go back to John chapter 1. When John says that he was full of grace and truth, John is telling us, that Jesus is God. That Jesus revealed that which Moses saw on Sinai in some way. So when John and his friends walked with Jesus, they saw the exact same thing that Moses saw on Sinai. They saw God's glory. They saw God's splendor, his beauty, his majesty, his power, his character, his graciousness, his steadfastness, his abounding love. They saw everything that makes God worthy of praise in Jesus. We know that Jesus is God from this passage. And we know that God the Father is God from other passages, including this passage, actually. 
And we know that they share the same glory because God has told us in Isaiah 48, verse 11, I will not share my glory. God's pretty particular about who gets his glory, and it's only him. He doesn't spread it around. Only God gets the glory. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They share it. But Jesus didn't just reveal God. He also revealed it to people, right? Who did he reveal it to? Well, we actually see two sets of people in this, and it's John and his friends. We have seen Jesus revealed his glory to them and to John the Baptist, John who bore witness about him and cried out. John and his friends and John the Baptist saw the glory of God revealed in Jesus. Now I said the big idea was that in Jesus, God was revealing himself to us and to the world. So that might sound like a contradiction, right? If I'm saying that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples and to John the Baptist. Sounds like I'm excluding that third category, right? Well, not really, because everything Jesus did revealed who God was, but not everyone responded to it. What did we read last week with Pastor Craig in verses 12 and 13? They say, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To see Jesus, to see God clearly, you need to have eyes of faith. Have you ever considered that there is a whole lot of people, there are a whole lot of people in the Gospel of John, in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of Mark, in the Gospel of Luke, who encounter Jesus and respond in a totally different way than John and his friends? What was the difference? What caused John and his friends to respond to Jesus in one way and then the Pharisees and the Sadducees to respond in a totally different way? The disciples had eyes of faith because of the will of God. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, Pontius Pilate, they did not have eyes of faith because God did not will it. Without the work of God in our lives, we will not have faith. Without God coming into our hearts and helping us to see the signs, John's going to talk about signs, not miracles, because signs point to something. They point to who Jesus is, and without faith, the signs will mean nothing. We need faith to believe. And that comes from God. Friends, this should give you great confidence when you seek to tell others about Jesus. Because you know what? Their response does not depend on you. Have you ever tried to share your faith with someone and you found yourself later reflecting and thinking, man, they didn't respond the way I wanted to. If I would have just said this one word differently, they would have responded and put their faith in Jesus. No, they wouldn't. Friends, this is not the perfect sales pitch that you have to make. You simply need to tell people about Jesus 
It doesn't matter if you use exactly the right words. It doesn't matter if you put it in the right order or if you pray a certain amount beforehand or if you didn't eat pizza the night before. Whatever, it doesn't matter because it depends on Jesus. Friends, that should give you confidence to go and share. We simply are good news tellers. You cannot do the right amount of things, say words in the right order in such a way that can convert someone. That's beyond your scope. That's beyond your abilities. Praise be to God because we would have very little hope if it was on me. We'd have very little hope if it depended on us. But if it depends on Jesus, it depends on the one who is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. Depends on him. But then, John doesn't just want us to see the way that Jesus revealed or how Jesus revealed. He also wants us to see his unique qualifications to reveal. Look at verse 14 again. It says, the only son. The only one. There are not multiple sons of God. There is one. His name is Jesus. And then John tells us that he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John's telling us that because Jesus existed before he did, he is uniquely, uniquely qualified to reveal God. This points to the preexistence of the word because, frankly, if John is saying that Jesus existed before him and John knows biology, it doesn't make a lot of sense to say that my younger cousin was before me, right? Younger cousins are born after you, right? Who has a younger cousin? Is their birthday before yours or after yours? It's after yours, right? John is pointing out to us, John the Baptist is pointing out to us that Jesus existed before him. And then lastly, in verse 18, John tells us that who is at the Father's side. Jesus was at the bosom of the Father. That's what this word means. It's the word that is perhaps the most intimate place that another human being can be with another human being. It is the word that we would use to describe a mother and her nursing baby, or a husband and, her, and his wife. Friends, this is an intimate relationship that God the Father and God the Son have shared from eternity. Because Jesus was at the Father's side. Now, the word, Jesus, revealed God in this way. It was tangible. And it revealed God's glory. And it revealed it to people who would respond with eyes of faith. And Jesus was uniquely qualified to do it. Now, friends, there is something significant about this. Now, that's all significant. I hope that you are seeing that, that this is all significant, but there's two things that I want us to highlight to see, and it's the significance of his revealing. And the first is he brings grace that is abounding. Look at verses 16 and 17. From the fullness we have all received grace upon grace. 
fullness. This is not lacking. And then John tells us that for, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace really means grace in place of grace or grace on top of grace. So John is telling us that the law was actually a grace. Friends, did you know that the Old Testament law is a grace to you? The Ten Commandments are a grace to you? Now, we are no longer under the Old Covenant. We are under a New Covenant. But it's still good for us to know them. It's good for us to know the Ten Commandments. It's good for us to know what God says was good and bad in the book of Leviticus. The Apostle Paul tells us that these were all written down for our instruction. And Jesus said that not a dot will pass away from the law. The law is a grace to us. But guess what? There's a better grace now, and his name is Jesus. And grace came fully from him and through him. It is the well that never runs dry. It is the river that perpetually flows. It is the sun that forever shines because of its source. Its source is Jesus. But why do we need grace? The Bible tells us that we are all sinners. We have all transgressed God's law. We've all broken the covenant that God had put before us. And we needed a Savior. We needed someone to save us from our sins because we couldn't do it ourselves. We couldn't live the perfect life that we needed to live to please the Father. And so God sent the Son. And the Son, the Word, became flesh. And he dwelt among us. He dwelt among his people, living a perfect life, walking amongst his people and doing miracles and telling them and revealing to them who God was. And at the right time, he was betrayed by one of his friends. He suffered under the Roman governor and he died. He was crucified. And he was buried in the tomb of a rich man named Joseph. He laid there for the better part of three days and rose on the morning of the third day. He did this so that we might have grace abounding, that we might have grace upon grace, the fullness thereof, so that way we can come to the Father and have a relationship with the God of the universe, knowing that his wrath has been satisfied that the God of the universe is no longer angry with his people. We can come to him freely. Friends, the grace found in Jesus makes the grace found through the law look like pennies when you have a million dollars. But this isn't the only significant thing in this passage. Perhaps the most significant thing in this entire passage is that look at what John says in verse 18. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. And yet in Jesus we see God. Now you might be thinking, well what about that one time in the Old Testament where they said this, where it says Moses saw God face to face. He talked with God face to face. Every time that the Old Testament see, speaks of someone seeing God, it always puts a qualifier. 
There's always a qualifier on it saying, well, they saw God, but they really just saw his robe or they saw the tassel on his robe. They, They didn't actually see God. No one has ever seen God. And yet, friends, when we look at Jesus, we see God. You want to see God? Look at Jesus. How wonderful is that? That God has decided to reveal himself to us in such a way that we can look and see him. That which is not perceptible with human eyes, that which we cannot measure with human instruments, that which is pure spirit is seen in Jesus. Up until Jesus, no one had ever seen God And then the disciples got to see God. That's a wonderful truth. And it's good, friends, because the way you get to correct errors about someone is by seeing them and knowing them. If you want to have a proper view and understanding of God, you look to Jesus. Not the Jesus that we make up, not the Jesus that they tell you about on television or on the Discovery Channel or on the History Channel because half the time those guys are wacko. If you want to see Jesus, look to the Bible. Look to who was revealed to us in the New Testament. Read this story of the Gospel of John. Read the Gospel of Matthew. Read the Gospel of Mark. Read the Gospel of Luke because when you read about Jesus, you read about God. Now, really, this whole thing is about God, right? Don't hear me and say, well, he's saying that the rest of the Bible is not about God. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you want to see God look at Jesus. Friends, it is the most important relationship that you have in the entire world is between you and God. You should know him well. If you didn't get to know your spouse you'd have a pretty terrible relationship. If you didn't get to know your best friend very well, he probably wouldn't be your best friend. If you didn't get to know your kids, you probably would have a terrible relationship with them. Friends, when you want to know God, look to Jesus. And you will see God. So how do we respond to this? What is our response to this, And there's really three things. And the first is we testify to his glory. It's verses 14 and 50, 15. John and his friends testified to God's glory. John the Baptist testified about Jesus. We testify to the glory of God. Friends, if God has done a work in your life, and I hope he has, it is worth telling other people about. If you have seen God's glory, it is worth telling other people about Friends, God freed his people from slavery. He freed them from their enemies because of grace. He led them by his good pleasure. He defeated their enemies. He slayed the giant. He stopped up the mouth of that which sought to devour one of his own. He did that for the people of Israel. He also did that for you. He freed you from the bondage of slavery to sin. He leads you day after day. He defeated your enemy, the devil. 
not because you earned it, but because of his good pleasure. He stopped up that which would seek to devour you because he tells us that the devil is like a lion roaring and seeking to devour us. Friends, in Jesus, we have freedom. Is it not worth telling others about? And then the next thing is that we receive grace. If you are here and you've never put your trust in Jesus, I'd invite you to do so today. It's the only way we receive the grace we need is to put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. Later on, there's going to be people who will be up here praying with people. If you want to pray about that and talk to someone about that, they would love to pray with you. If you want to talk to me about it, I would love to talk to you about it. If you want to talk to one of the other pastors here, they would love to talk to you about it. Friends, this grace is the grace to start the journey, but it's also the grace to finish the journey. This grace is not just for someone who has not put their faith and trust in Jesus. It's also grace for you, the believer, each and every day. This grace is for you to finish the race well, to come to him and say, God, I need help with this. The book of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 16 says, we should boldly approach the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and help in time of need. Friends, come and get grace. It's not lacking. It is full. The thing you need is full. Come to it. And then lastly, we can make God known. We, can do, we don't make God known in the way that Jesus did, but we can make God known. The Bible speaks of us reflecting God's character to others. Jesus would say things like, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Our daily lives, our actions, our words, our values should reflect God and his kingdom. You can reflect God's kingdom. You can reflect God's character. This is why I love the way that we've expressed the way we fulfill the fifth purpose in the five purposes that we have set. The purpose of evangelism, it's number five in my mind because it's just always written last. I don't know why. We've said that it's we purpose to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, proclaiming within our neighborhoods and beyond who he is and what he did. I love that word, ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? He goes and represents the country he's from to another nation. When we go out these doors, we are ambassadors for Jesus. We represent him to the world. When we gather, we're like an embassy that is an outpost for God's kingdom in a foreign nation. Friends, we can make God known through our daily lives and as we gather. So the question we have for ourselves is how do you need to respond to his revealing today? I've listed three things that we testify to his glory. Maybe God has put it on your heart. You need to share with this person that, I, that you know. Or maybe God is just saying, hey, you need to be praying for opportunities to testify to my glory. Or maybe you've sat here and you've realized you've never received God's grace. You've never put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. Or maybe you're a believer and you've been struggling with an ongoing issue in your life and you need God's grace and you, you're looking in other places. Come to him. It is full, friends. If that's you, I would also invite you to come pray with people. They would love to pray with you about 
walking in God's grace. And then third, we make him known. How can you make God known this week? How can you make God known to your kids, your wife, your husband, your boss, your coworkers? How can you reflect God and his character to those people? Maybe it's even someone that really annoys you. But you still need to reflect God's character to him. Those are the three things that we saw in this passage. And there's one more I want to challenge you with before we close in prayer. Will you worship him? What is the truths that were revealed about Jesus in this passage should drive us to worship. Will you worship him for the fact that he came in the flesh? That this was tangible? That John and the disciples got to hug and hold the king of the universe? That he fully displayed God's glory? Friends, if you have your faith in him, He is worthy of your worship for this truth, for these truths. Will you worship him for revealing the Father? Will you worship him for the grace that he has given? Will you worship? Let's pray. Jesus, the word eternal, God in the flesh, the one who was from the Father and has made the Father known to us. Oh Jesus, you are so wonderful. You are abounding in steadfast love and mercy. You are faithful to your word. Jesus, you are worthy of every praise from our lips. God, may we come to you and worship you. May you move in our hearts, awaken in in them a greater desire to worship you. May we see you for how great you truly are. May we be captivated by your glory. and May that move us to tell others about it. May we seek to make you known. And God, may we rest in your grace. God, there is nowhere else that we may find that which we need but in you. Lord, you have told us that those who are weary and burdened should come to you. May we do so. God, let us turn to you for all that we need. Precious and holy name we pray. Amen. This week, my friends, may you live life in light of the fact that God has made himself known and seek to tell others about him. Go in his peace.